Dang. Dang. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check. Yeah. Welcome to Secret Skin. We had a contest last week. Yeah. And didn't nobody win. Yeah. This is Secret Skin. Uh huh. Had a contest last week. Why? But didn't nobody win. Nah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had a contest last week. Uh huh. Yeah. I was asking people to name the sample. Uh huh. And the beat. I even had a prize of a secret scan t shirt. Dang. Wanted to know if anybody could name the sample. Why? Nobody guessed it. And only one guy tried. Uh huh. And I'm trying real hard not to take it personal. I'm trying. I'm trying to make this thing more interactive For you to distract myself from the fact that I'm just sitting in the closet Yeah, please rate, review, and give me feedback Please Uh-huh, talking to you To omebooking at gmail.com What? Yeah, omebooking at gmail.com Ah, gotta say it slower So you can hear this shit You, yeah And if you want, you can buy secret skin shirts at openmikeeagle.bigcartel.com For money I like how I said that there was elocution uh-huh. This is a podcast and that's important it is. Yeah Back to the point Buy something, say something, do something Uh-huh Cause if you don't, I'm gonna lose my mind Podcast, if we're trying to uh, do stuff. Welcome Talk to Secret to Skin. Uh-huh. Had a contest last week, and didn't nobody win. No. Secret Skin. Secret Skin. Uh-huh. Had a contest last week, uh-huh. yeah. and didn't nobody win. No. On this week's show, we got Harvey Kondabolu. He funny as hell. We talked in his hotel room. We talked about wrestling and Hollywood and white privilege. Those are like my three favorite things to talk about. Let's get to it. There's a secret radio hour. 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 This hotel is so cute. This, yeah, this is a very cute hotel. It's funny. Are we allowed to say the name of the hotel? Are you can say whatever the hell you like. Okay, a hotel Beverly Terrace. I stay in it often. It is a very okay. Up- this is like a go-to. It's this is and it's not a fancy hotel. From the outside, it looks very. It looks like a motel. It's very, From the outside, it does. It looks. It looks like a motel in a fancy. Very unattractive. The first time I stayed here. Was uh, I, I was playing the Troubadour, and uh-huh. it's basically across the street from this place. I'm like, oh, that's convenient. And every time since then, that was about a year ago, I always stay in this hotel, even though even when other people are paying, and they and I can go anywhere I want. I ask for this hotel, even though it's wow. one of the cheaper options. You've, I like it. I don't know what maybe because there's an Italian restaurant downstairs, and I and 
I can have coffee. I don't know what it is. You know, I think I get I do that too. There's a lot of places where I just get used to being. Like maybe that's it's the comfort because yeah. you're used to it, and it's something like oh, this is I'm in my my LA home. Which I is always this hotel room. whenever whenever I'm in New York, I always get a hotel that's like in like Long Island City. Really? Always. Where I, do you stay? Uh, there's a Red Roof Inn out there. I stay in sometimes. You're there's like these Queens. weird, yeah, but like just that, like just. They're like Astoria, yeah, kind of yeah. Long Island City, where the trains are all kind of like right there. Yeah. You can get into Manhattan. Right. You know what I mean? Like Brooklyn's kind of a pain, but like yes. it, I've just gotten comfortable there. That's amazing to me because like growing up, I grew up in Queens. Okay. And so it's just interesting that people say they stay in Queens because I've never heard that before. Yeah. These, these hotels, you wouldn't even, like Red Roof Inn is a pretty standard franchise. Right. You would miss it just driving down the street. It's like nestled in between these two buildings in right. a very strange way. Is it like four bedrooms only? No. It's, it's only the top floor. No, it's like there's like there's three red full roof, floors. Red roof in express. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean they should call it that, but it is it is a small red roof fan and it is in Long Island City and yeah. and I like it. Because I just, I don't know, I just well, do. you know it. It's yeah. like, oh, this is where I'm going to stay. I know what it's going to feel like every time. Like, maybe they'll even recognize me when I walk in because oh, I'm here. Oh. See, that, see that? I hope not. I don't All want right. that. No, I've had that at this hotel. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. It doesn't always make me feel good. <laughs> it's just like, oh, nice to see you again, sir. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I like this hotel. Why are you making me feel weird about staying here? I will go elsewhere. Oh, oh you guys don't get a lot of regular pretend, <laughs> I also, yeah, it's another thing. Like, why do you, there should be, you shouldn't recognize me. Also, there's always cookies in the front. It's all oh, that's tight. Uh, and I could pretend that's a meal depending uh, how I'm doing financially <laughs> oh at that given God. time. And uh, there's the Italian restaurant so I can be as lazy as I want. Lovely. Uh, last time, The last two times I was here, the internet went out. That should be enough reasons mm. to not stay here yeah, again. Yeah, see that. That is heart-wrenching. Instead, and I could have asked for money back. Do you know what I said instead? What's that? I said... Hey, the next time I stay here, can I get a discount? Wow. That's a weird thing to say instead of asking for your money back. I ask for a discount the next time I stay at this dysfunctional because hotel. Because for sure you're coming back. Oh, I like this hotel for no. <laughs> what would they have, have to have do? ESPN. What would they have to do to make to? What, what would have to happen for you not to want to come back here? A racial slur. Oh. Then I would ask. Hard for, line at racial well, slur. Well, I got one free hotel stay this time. That was, that's that's at least two or three. <laughs> that's at least some kind of or. Uh, all the uh, the stuff that you know the the food that you have to pay for in the room yeah that has to be free I see because I look at that sparkling water every time I'm like I never touch it and I think about it every time yeah all that stuff is just there to, to taunt and mock me I I you know that's what I assume and I just put a, a psychological glass right on right it. it's know. also not a very impressive spread if you've noticed that between other hotel rooms there's Ritz crackers <laughs> why do they even still make those in small packages in small packages it's for children uh, wow. Nature Valley. Granola's planters, peanuts, none of this. It's it's like an airline airline food in a hotel room. It is, it is like a very specific couple rolls in a vending machine. Yes. Very specific. They could have just gotten a vending machine. It might as well have. Yes. I was going to ask you, what is the dumbest thing that you like? And maybe you've already oh. answered that. What's the dumbest thing that you like? The, oh, man. I feel like this is a question I've thought about like in, like in, yeah, internally, internally yeah. but never. What is the dumbest thing I like? Oh my God, I wish I had an immediate answer because there's probably <laughs> so many things that are well, dumb see. that I like. Rattle off the dumb stuff, you know? Okay. I like boxing. Okay. Boxing, even though I know uh, it's it's terrible for so many reasons, it, 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 it's always crooked. There's so many crooked, yeah. but you get, I, I partially paid for that Pacquiao Mayweather fight. Yeah. And it sucked. It was, it was a terrible really fight. Awful. It's the first time I paid for a fight and I bought into it. I always buy into the hype of a fight. And. 
you know, that's that's dumb. There's no reason to do that. I know May, uh, Mayweather fights are boring. Well, you know what? I think we came up in an era where, you know, there were like big, huge, hulking, uh, heavyweight boxers that were yeah. really good and had exciting fights where like yes. people would punch the hell out of each other right. and knock each other out. Right. And they would be like, you saw something. Right. You know, and clearly that doesn't really happen no. anymore. I mean, we also, like I... We, Tyson era, that was yeah, really, like exactly. Tyson era, like everything. Even though it was quick, it was so brutal. It was, right? and you would just you would be scared for this other person, oh, yeah. but you'd also want to watch them get punched in the face. Holyfield fought, probably cheat a little bit too with those, that headbutting. But yeah. he, he, <laughs> I mean, Tyson bit his ears. So that was interesting. Right. Of it course, was. Lennox Lewis used to talk shit about people in yeah. a British accent Which before was, he punched, before and after he punched them in the and, face. And it wasn't really. He wasn't. He never said anything that was that brilliant. But it always sounded so smart. It sounded to me, and I'm a, I'm a big professional professional wrestling fan. Yeah, yeah. So just anybody who you know heals it up like that, I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm always in for that. I can't remember what the British bulldog sounded like. Uh, look, Davey oh, this, Boy Smith. Oh, power slam versus power slam. We see who's got the best power slam. He actually said that. To really? Somebody. He actually said wow. that to the warlord. Wow, he doesn't. He doesn't sound as smart as I had hoped he I would. I mean, say. actually, I, I dumped him up a little. Right? Bit. You dumped up the mean, British. I, I, I'm sorry. Rest in peace, British bulldog. He only went by Davy Boy Smith, except in the in the U.S. They tried to play up the ethnicity part, and they called him British Bulldog. Right? They did call him, and he was originally part of a tag team called the British Bulldogs. Really? And he was. It was Davy Boy Smith and Kid Dynamite. Kid Dynamite. Kid Dynamite, who was now confined to a wheelchair. Oh, yeah, it's very terrible. But he's a jerk. He was okay. a really big jerk. That whole family dealt with a lot of tragedy. If I he, remember, he, he my, married into the Hart family, which right? Was, and Owen Hart. Yes. Uh, this is not something I don't talk about. How much wrestling I know? I pretend I, I don't like and I don't. Why but I know a great would you dude. have to pretend you didn't see? That could have been the dumbest thing you liked easily. That's probably the that's dumbest probably thing the, I like. Honestly, that's probably something like I pretend I don't, but I'm like, oh man, because like, me and my girlfriend just uh, broke up a few months ago, so I'm like, you know, you got to fill the nights with something. Mm, yeah, you do. So the next thing you know, it's like, what does Stone Cold Steve Austin think of gay rights? <laughs> So I, I don't know why I thought, and so like I Google it, and he has a podcast where oh, he addresses oh, oh, gay rights. He has the best podcast. Right? He's, he's very entertaining. It's like he, he, and there's an element of self awareness too, oh, which yes. I really appreciate. Oh yes, and he just gives the business away. He has right. wrestlers on, and they just talk and talk and talk. And he his his intro. At the top, yeah, where he just talks for ten minutes about yeah. nothing. Yeah, it's the most entertaining shit <laughs> oh in the world. I, there's only one wrestler I really like. Well, there's a couple. There's what's a Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan's amazing. I like. Dan- I first heard of Daniel Bryan because I'm friends with Kimya Dawson, and Kimya Dawson's yeah. friends with Daniel Bryan, exactly. and they they've uh, made a song together. Uh, and also, I like um, his name is Kofi. Kofi Kingston. Kofi, he is fun to watch. He's very athletic. How come he doesn't win more? Does he win a lot? No. Uh, well, he went through a long, long spell of being in what they call the mid card. The so, mid card. So you're not, you know, you're not jerking a curtain, but you're definitely yeah. not main eventing. You're just kind of middling. Right. Um, and just in the last two years, they started this new faction. Yeah. Called the New Day. And it's him and two other mid-card black wrestlers. Right. And they put them together, and they were doing this kind of like positive church-going gimmick at right, first. Right, right, right. And then they turned them heel. So now they're like, they they come out and they try to do this positive positivity stuff. And when the crowd boos them, they like get enraged and start cheating. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic, man. I, I I really like what they're doing with those guys. That's. I mean, do they still do the hardcore racism? 
Uh, it's, it's more soft core racism. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I don't know what this Hogan stuff now. It really kind of cast this whole light on how they've treated black wrestlers forever. Yeah, I and mean, it's kind of shocking, actually. Just it's like, really ugly. He has lots of things I, you know, I've heard were pretty annoying. His phoniness, but this is a level of phoniness. This that, is crazy. Yeah, and you didn't know? his daughter say that he was friends with Mr. T as a just? That doesn't help. That doesn't, doesn't help at all. I, I'm, I'm, you know, that whole situation makes me feel terrible, and that's why this is the dumbest thing that I like. Right, right. Because that, like, the biggest guy in it hates yeah. me apparently, <laughs> you know? and, and, and I and I, I watch this like anyway. Yeah. Okay. What, sir, would be your dream job? Huh. I'd like to host my own TV show. Yeah. Where I get to do whatever I want and talk about the things I want. And I don't want to be super famous. I just want to be famous enough to regularly have good health insurance. I hear you. And famous enough where I get recognized every now and then. Whenever people recognize me, they just don't want to take a picture with me. They want to, th- uh, they want to th- uh, talk to me about a wonderful experience they had listening to my comedy. How about it? Yeah, more of like, a, <clears throat> like critically, you know, you've been a major influence to me. I, uh-huh. I prefer that. But enough, again, to have health care and to potentially take care of an imaginary family I don't have. <laughs> What uh? What 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 happened on this show? I mean, you don't. I don't. You probably are in talks with people about things. You don't have to be very specific. Well, I, I, something where I could kind of do stand up, and it goes to sketch and interviews. You know, in a, in a unique format. But like, you know, just like kind of what everyone else is doing, except it's me, so it's different. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. People always say you have something new, and it's like it's all the same stuff. It's just, can I be the one that carries it this time? I see. You know, can I? You know, and I, I certainly have ideas and things I'd love to share. And why the hell not? I hear you. Yeah, all my friends are getting shows. Why can't I have I one? I think you certainly deserve one. Right. So, thank you. Um, there are controversial comics, especially on like Twitter, mm. and there's been this phenomenon of people looking towards these people to be the first person to make light of some sort of tragedy that's happened. Right. And I wonder if there's people who look to you to say like the first intelligent joke yeah. about the tragedy that's yes. just happened that that's taken whenever place. there's a news story that would be my wheelhouse whether it's like police brutality right. or something about terrorism or something involving india stuff or yeah. immigrate what whenever it's a big story sure that uh is about race generally uh yeah i get a bunch of tweets like how come you haven't said anything yet mm. I, I was asleep <laughs> it was it happened over there's time differences the story happened while i was asleep it's 8 a.m. I shouldn't be checking my phone to begin with. You should have been dreaming about asleep. what you were going to write. Yeah, I missed the news cycle because I was asleep during the news cycle. It was just, uh, yeah, so I mean, there's definitely times I've, and, and, I, and it's tough because sometimes it's like I write a thing, I'm like, I'm not making light of this at all. It's just a, a really succinct way to express my feelings. Right. And, I'm, and then people will say, I thought you were a comedian. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> shooting in Charleston, not that funny to yeah, me right exactly. now. I just woke up and the first thing I'm hearing about is a shooting and how I'm supposed to comment on a shooting. Right. Yeah, it might take me a bit to think about it past the fact this is terrible. Right. Uh, same thing with police brutality. Every now and then I'll come up with something that is funny. But part of me is like, why does everything I write on Twitter have to be funny? Why can't something just be thoughtful or poignant or a way to express my feelings that I normally would put in a notebook or an essay? Maybe I only have a couple of lines. I don't have the full essay. Here's a couple of lines of a thing. Now, and, and you certainly have done that. You've, you've uh, written thoughts sure. that aren't you know, necessarily trying to be funny. And you, so you, people have resisted that in a way? It depends on who. I think some people 
expect it and want it. And there's okay. some people who are just like, why are you not being funny? Mm. And I don't know. <clears throat> I, I don't know. Maybe other comedians would say this about me too, but I'm not really a big laughs guy. Mm. I'm one of those guys in comedy who I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, most of the reviews say he's very smart. Right. You know, nobody, who comes to see my show and expects to laugh? <laughs> what kind of comedian would I be if you came to see me to laugh? I mean, look, I think that, uh, I don't want people who've never heard of me to be like, what the, f- what kind of, this is, this guy sucks. Um, but I feel like I definitely like don't do like a laugh a minute. I think things I explain a lot. I like right. to, to try to, I like to explain jokes. I think that's funny to do yeah, that. Yeah, I think I think that's great. And I know you do. I mean, de- it's deconstruction, and yeah. so I've heard so much of your stuff, and it's lots of deconstruction, which I love to death. But I, I think that the way you deconstruct your jokes, especially like while you're on stage, and how you make these tags kind of yeah, explain, yeah, yeah. and the rhythm of that, I think is really really great. And I and, and I think it's not for everybody too, and I know that. And also, I think sometimes writing something that's poignant and thoughtful to begin with, at least gets you a place. You can hang the jokes off it. Like, I think John Oliver does a great job of that. Right. He has a really strong opinion. He has really thoughtful things to say. And he has comedy writers to fill the jokes in when necessary exactly. to take some of the tension off. I think, you know, anybody can be a comedian. Not anybody, but like, when, there's so many comedians you go on stage and they get off stage and they're funny as all hell and I can't remember a damn thing they said. Right. And even if I don't have the same laughs per minute, you know, number, like... Did I say something that was interesting that you'll think about, and it was a unique way of doing it, and hopefully I made you laugh, too. Tell me about um, working on Kamal Bell's show. It was... It's very complicated. Um, One, it was my first chance writing on a show. Okay, so you hadn't written for television before that at all. Okay. It was was a lot of our first breaks. Kamal brought a lot of his friends with him, and it was the most diverse writing room. And it was interesting. It was the most diverse writing room with, with a lot of people with their first credits, which tells you a lot about just the nature of this industry. Of course. It was also the most diverse crew and staff. Lots of women, lots of people of color, lots of queer folks. I've been on other sets since then. Mm-hmm. We were an exception to that sure. rule. It's not, it's not that way all the time. It was, a, it was kind of a very comfortable place to talk about a lot of really difficult things. Um, the first season was especially was a lot of fun. I got to work with the legendary Dwayne Kennedy, one of the greatest comedians I have ever seen. Um, that was, I mean, that was one of the biggest takeaways for me is getting to meet him and getting to work with him and being, I mean, he's, I'm like, I treat him like an uncle to me, hmm. a friend and an uncle. Do, do you know anything about Dwayne I Kennedy? I do not. He's a Chicago comic. Um, he, um, Dwayne is frustrating to know as a friend sometimes because he's so brilliant and he's been such a big influence for so many comedians and he'll get a TV deal or something will happen. He's been around since the eighties. He's been on, I think, 227. He's on the f- first or second season of Seinfeld. Um, he's been he's been on TV forever. He's had a Comedy Central special, a Showtime special. He's been around, and Dwayne will get a TV deal or be or, or be on the edge of something. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that happens, he moves back to Chicago. Wow! And this has happened like three or four waves where something's about to happen, and Dwayne goes back to Chicago. And during one of those times back in Chicago, this was sometime in the mid '90s, I think, or maybe a little bit after. It was during the wave where uh, Kyle Kinane, Matt Bronger, John Roy, that whole wave was coming up. Sure. And they, to this day, tell me he was their guy. He was that older comic in the city, which there's always that guy, yeah. who they all idolized and looked up to, made them want to do it and show them this is, this is what it could be. And the Chicago scene is probably the most important scene of the last like 10 years, I would mm. say, between like you're talking about T.J. Miller, Kumail, Hannibal... Um, the list goes on. I think Nate Bargatze was there for a minute. Like, there's so many. Jared Logan. It's loaded. I'm missing huge names. Pete sure, Holmes. Sure. Like, 
this is and and if he, if they're saying that like the early part of that is because of Dwayne, I mean that's a huge influence. But that's Dwayne. Like Dwayne really is. I mean, Kamau I think was in Chicago. You know, in the beginning of his career before right. he moved to San Francisco, and Dwayne was his, you know one of his closest friends and was a big influence and mentor to him too. Like so to be able to work with him. I mean, I remember the first day we did the pilot for Totally Biased in LA in Santa Monica. Chris Rock came in. I'd never met Chris at this one because he executive produced the show. Right. First thing he said, everyone was like, whoa, it's Chris Rock. First thing he said when he walked in was that, he said was, um, is that Dwayne Kennedy? Where have you been? Damn. You're funny, man. And I was like, oh my God. Like, it's Dwayne. I mean, that's just, Dwayne is, uh, is brilliant. And sometimes during the first season, you know, when we had the, when it was weekly, if Dwayne was on a roll in the writer's room, it was like catching lightning in a bottle. We just <laughs> write down everything he said. Because he, you know, when he was on, it was just incredible. I mean, uh, I think the first season, the second season when it was daily was just too much. And we were on a network, FXX, that nobody saw. Yeah. But, but it's nice to know that, like, we, were, we did something no one else did. And we were kind of ahead of the curve by a couple of years. And I feel like if we were on now, we'd probably do better than it did then. Sure. But certainly there were pieces there that I think will stand the test of time. Whenever something goes, goes kind of viral from, you know, the archives on YouTube, I'm like, amazed and kind of disappointed that it didn't get the love when it was on air sure yeah do you uh have you gone out for like acting stuff too a little bit a little bit i um i don't really go out very much I just did a, a web series for matt bronger uh, and kevin kevin avery wrote it too mm-hmm. and uh you know i've done a little bit i got i i was in a movie last year called five days in maine it was with um Maris Kern, it was her first film. It would star David, I always get his last name wrong, which is embarrassing considering my last name is Kundabolu. He, um, <laughs> he was uh, Martin Luther King and Selma. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how to say his last yeah, name. Yeah, and I, I worked with him, which is terrible. But um, Maris Kern, the director, had seen me do stand-up and really liked my stand-up. And the movie is about a guy who, whose wife died. It's a drama. His wife okay. dies in a car accident. He has to go to Maine um, to see his mother-in-law, who he didn't get along with and his wife really didn't get along with. Um, and the mother-in-law is played by Diane Wiest, mm-hmm. and uh, her nurse is played by Rosie Perez. Okay. And he stops in Baltimore, where he's from, on the way, and he hangs up with his best friend, who's an ER doctor, which I would have played. And it, I was excited about it because it's this friendship between like a black dude and Indian dude that's raceless. Right. They're friends. It's not based on the blackness or Indianness. It doesn't come into play at all the way real friendships generally work. Right. It's not to say that isn't a factor and those conversations didn't happen, but magically one of those conversations wasn't caught on film. Exactly. His dude's wife died. How can I be a friend to him? Right. And I'd never seen anything like that. The problem is I don't act very much mm-hmm. and she wanted me, she didn't even have me audition. She just cast me and I'm like, you're, you're good for this. So I just spent months, I canceled a bunch of things, I canceled a trip to Hawaii that, like, that was the dream show, like right. to get a festival in Hawaii. And <laughs> you know, I, I, I didn't do anything for a few months just to work on this part. Just memorizing the memorizing lines. Memorizing the lines, getting them. it down. Yeah. It wasn't a comedic part. Right, there was so a few, have... There were some comedic lines in it which all were cut before we actually shot the thing. Huh. So it was, you know, a, a big thing. And so we, you know, I spent all this time, we shot the thing and, uh, you know, I'm excited about this. And all of a sudden, a, a few weeks ago, I get a call from Maris and she says, I got good news and I got bad news. Uh-oh. And I said, all right, give me the bad news. She's like, we cut all your scenes from the movie. Because Baltimore doesn't really, like we shot in the Bronx and like the Bronx doesn't really look like Baltimore. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course it doesn't. It's the Bronx. <laughs> and I'm going to say, all right, what's the good news? And she's like, the good news is that the movie looks wonderful. It looks wow. So, and I'm like, Wow. 
that doesn't make me feel good. Right. It's not good that, news for it's you. It's not good news for me. So, I mean, my acting history is is mixed at best. Um, <laughs> I was in a I was in a film called All About Steve. I had one line in it. It was a terrible Sandra Bullock movie. Great cast, but terrible film. How did you get it? I auditioned for one of the lead parts. I didn't get it, and I got the role instead of crossword businessman, just a businessman reading a crossword puzzle says one <laughs> line. I get paid fifty dollars a year from residuals Tight. from that stupid thing. Like that's great. That's a free meal or two. On Sandra Bullock every year for a garbage <laughs> movie that Ty Burr of the Boston Globe compared to Leprosy. Ouch! Yeah. Well, at least it wasn't talking about you. Right, right. No, no. <laughs> nobody. There are people who are very... I remember watching the film with my friends in the movie theater when it came out, just for that one stupid scene, and her character was so unlikable that she fell into a pit in the earth during one scene, and the audience started clapping. Wow. She's the protagonist. She's the hero of the film. <laughs> she falls, and they clap because the movie's so bad. It's so great that everybody agreed, though. It was kind of amazing, actually, because how often do you see people in sync with each other? If a movie's good, people don't even clap at the end. Right. People are like, all right, I'm finished the movie. Let alone going completely against the emotional tone right. that the movie's <laughs> trying to completely. set. Completely. Yeah. You're like, I wasted my money. I hope she gets her. And collectively, around the theater, people agreed with that. So how do you feel about auditioning as a thing? Hate it. Me too. I hate it also mainly because the roles I generally get offered are awful. Sure. You know, there's like the Aziz and Mindy roles or Kamal roles, and there's like everything else. And I usually get everything else. So I won't audition. Like, the idea of like, well, do it in the room and, you know, you just... Just because it's a good look. And I'm like, it's not a good look. I'm not going to change my voice or or do something degrading in front of like white people behind a camera. Sure. Uh, especially when I'm not getting paid for it. <laughs> like, that's even, like that's the industry is doing degrading things in front of white people behind a camera. Right. And you want me to do it? For free. Free. You practice okay. doing it. Because right. I would love to do it for you. <laughs> right, right, right. It's, it's, it's a version of the casting couch as well. Right. Like, I'm not going to. Wow. I'm not going to do this for your amusement. Um. So I won't do it. So I don't audition as much as I probably should, should. And also, often it's like, how come the role can't just be like a, the part that isn't ethnically specific? Right. It's always white, and then there's one part that says any race. Any mm. race? <laughs> any race? <laughs> what the fuck? It just, just say other. It just, it just sounds like other. So, like, I don't know. Like, that's why I was excited about this film, too, because it was just, I got cast right out. Um, and, and every time I've gotten things or people wanted me to do something, often it's like we want you to be a version of you or cast right directly, right. which is nice. Do you do you see any change on the horizon for how yeah for how um, Hollywood or an entertainment business treats race? Do you feel like there's any? I think so. Okay. I think so because there's more. Um, networks and places for the content to go right and so they're not appealing to just a mainstream mass they see that there's markets that work for this and you see that through who, who are the big stars on youtube you know there's a lot of people that are like there's asian american stars in asian american youtube there's a south asian american youtube you know there's people who have millions of followers right. and have a you know if they they would be almost going down by going on a network they're actually right. doing themselves a disservice <laughs> unless there's money up front like so People are going to like give more people opportunities as well. I mean, the fact totally biased even existed is an indication of that. Maybe a little too early. And the, the Fresh off the boat is a show that I'm excited about. Just the fact they say white people multiple times every episode, right. and it doesn't seem like a big deal. But saying the words white people over and over again and still being on the air after a season is a hell of an achievement. You couldn't right. do that before. It's not a slur, but pe white people don't like to hear about white people. Right. And so even things like that are like to me. An improvement. I think part of it is changing culture. Part of it is the people who are executive 
executives not grew up in a different generation, went to school with different people of color, like were exposed to broader things as a result of the internet. Sure. Like they got, they have a better understanding of what the co- the country really is. And so it's going to be more reflected. Uh, you know, we're going to see something that's more reflective of what we actually have. Um, it's still not going to be perfect. Of course not. And it's still going to be ahead of the curve or behind the curve, depending on the issue. Like certainly... There's all these, like, TV almost accepted uh, gay characters and gay rights before everybody else did. That right. certainly has an influence. And in other hands, like, Fresh Off the Boat should have been made 10 years ago. Right. So, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, it's up and down. What's the last overtly racist thing that happened to you? Oh, Did you, man. The last overtly. That I haven't blocked out? <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> you were able to internalize. Oh, my God. Let me think here. I feel like I should check my Twitter feed because that's where they... <laughs> I usually just write them and just m- try to make them go away. Um, oh, I mean, here's the thing with overt racism, okay. all right? Because sometimes, I think you'll understand this, you and me will experience a thing and we know that shit was racist. Right. And you tell white people that and they're like, well, do they use a slur? Right. Like, they need some kind of magic word to know that it's actually... Did they hit you? Like, no, but that shit was... Ra- like, I know... I was... Coming to, I was, I was, it was last week. I went from LA to San Francisco. I go to, uh, I go to LA. I got Delta Sky Priority because Tight. I fly all the time. Look I at always you. pick the same. Admire. Oh, same. Okay. Comfort always, airline. Always go with Delta just to get it. the points in order to justify the fact I travel so much. I right. want to feel like I'm achieving something and not just uh, you know wasting away my 30s like I did in my 20s. And I go to the Sky Priority line, and there's a white mom and her two teenage kids. Uh, waiting and they're blocking the front of the line. Mm. Like no one can pass them because they're in the front of the line. And they're saying, I don't know if this is our line or not. I think we should ask somebody. I don't know what to do. One thing you can do is not block the fucking line. <laughs> and so it was just weird. Like you're not sure what you're doing. I wait like a minute and I'm like, at some point you can't block it. You either go in or don't go in. Right. And so I'm like, excuse me. And I start cutting past them. And she's like, we were, we were waiting on line. And I'm like, you haven't moved, which is the reason I left. And you were, do you know if this is your line? He's like, no, but we were going to ask somebody. <laughs> and, and the look on her face, right. I know the look on her face. Right. She didn't like the fact I talked back to her. Of course. She was, it wasn't just a shot. It was just, how dare you do this? And how do you cut past me? I looked at her kids and her kids had this look of, like, I'm so sorry, please go ahead. Wow. This is, and, and how do I explain that to people where they understand it was racist? And I sure as fuck know it was. I know what fucking happened. Right. Like, there's no, I know, I've, I've, how do you explain a look that you experience and have experienced a bunch that condescending, mean-spirited, you don't look at me, you don't talk to me. I know what the fuck that is. I think, you know, one of, one of the last barriers of, get, of, of getting people to understand, you know, how pervasive racism is systemically is getting them to understand what privilege is, whether right. they're, you know, whether it's white privilege, male privilege, you know, any, like you said, anything that has that included power dynamic and letting people, you know, allowing people to be able to see right. when it is that they are using that and they don't know it. And there's a lot of resistance to it. Right. I found, Often too. advantages that come from birth. Right. That, and people, well, it's not my fault. It's not about fault. You know, it's not, it's not what it's about. It's about, what can you do to contribute to a mer- uh, to a fairer world, a more just world? And I think that, like, you know, I, of course, I show resistance at, at some point too. Like, you know, 
friends who are feminists pointing out my advantages as a, as a man. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't want to hear stuff. Sometimes I'm like, it's not my. F- I've said it's not my fault before at some point in my life. I've I've tried to counter things. I don't want to deal with it. And then at a certain point, it's like, it's true. Yeah. And you know, you can't walk down, uh, walk in the middle of the night on this. You deal with the uh, with street harassment. You deal with being paid less. You know, I don't need to deal with those things as as a man at least. Right. You know, maybe as a person of color, there's other things, but like. You know, these are these are uh, things that like you can feel guilty about, but don't dwell on the guilt, right? Because then it becomes self-indulgent. It becomes about you, right? It's not about how you feel. It's about you feel this way because something is wrong. So, what are you going to do to help? How do you be an? How are you an ally? How do you support a movement? How do you support your friend at the bare minimum? I feel like you know, at this point, the vast majority of people in my life that I keep closer, people that I that are there for me, who can be there for me, who I can be there for, like the white friends I have, like are. are Generally speaking, almost entirely people that like would would be there when some racist shit went down and knew what to say. Yeah, because if you can't, then you can't you can't hang out with me. That's too <laughs> that's too big a thing. And I just I just realized because I, I gave you the example of the ra- the racist thing that was overt to me. Sure, I can I'll give you one that happened a couple of weeks ago that's uh, probably overt to everybody. Uh, I had um, made a comment on Facebook. Right, which is already you know there's going to be some terrible stuff that follows. And I said uh, how uh, there's Fox News reporter, I think it was Brian Kilmed or Kilmead or whatever, had because there was a bunch of shark attacks, yeah. said that they should clear the, sh- uh, the water of sharks. And I said, I guess white people are gentrifying the oceans now. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> and people, people on the Facebook liked it. But then, you know, you can share things and you don't know who's going to find this stuff. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the next thing I know, this guy is writing all this racist shit about mm-hmm. like just all sorts of different communities and just saying this shit. Uh, it's the same old stuff you'd expect. And then all of a sudden he told me uh, that he wanted me to eat a bullet. Mm. Something like that. Maybe I'm paraphrasing, but he's going to feed me a bullet. I think that's wow. what he said. Which the imagery of like a bunch of grape leaves and like that, like a bunch of bullets that are in like the shape of grapes and he picked <laughs> one and he... It's, it's Drop kind a of, delicate leaf. Yeah. Which would still kill me, but you know, a lot slower. It's to, it, That to me is, is, is was kind of cute, but it also I knew like, oh, I don't know if this guy knows where I live. Yeah. I don't know if he knows my IP address. I don't know anything. I know nothing about this human being other than the fact... Um, he overtly said he was going to feed me a bullet, and that means he's going to kill me, and that's not allowed. And that to me, it, like, the over- there was a bunch of racist comments, but that's like, right. holy fuck! Uh, I reported it to Facebook because they have that little thing where you can click a box or two, sure. and then they review it, and they sent me an email saying that they reviewed it, and it doesn't go against their guidelines. Wow! Yeah. Wow. So, what are their guidelines prohibiting? Uh, what do their guidelines? No, no female nipples. Okay, so that's a problem. Yeah. Also, there was somebody who used the N-word, and I reported that, and they did say wow. yeah, that. But th- here's what they do. They remove the comment. Here's the other thing. I can remove the comment. Right. They don't ban the person. They don't give them a warning. They don't, like, what I think they should do is delete them if it's, like, a death threat or a rape threat, and even language, potentially. But, like, there needs to be some action. They don't do any of that. And that to me is also kind of racist, and like it's basically saying that like we don't give a shit about you. People right. can, who are fucked up and do whatever they want. It's free speech, so you can't do it. And it's like you're a private company. You you do have restrictions. You do say women can't show their nipples on this thing, right? But this shit you're 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 okay you're with. Fine with. Yeah. I mean, you know, and that's the thing too. You know, you what what the world that we want to live in is one where 
if someone wrongs you, you can report it to the authority right. and then it gets taken care of. Right. Not one where they review what is something is obviously paying you for you to even bring it up to them. And then it's obvious there there is a threat there. Reading <laughs> you a bullet is not a non threatening thing. No. And then you know, how do they I mean, why why are they okay with telling you that that's okay? Right. You know what I mean? Right. Because they don't actually, it probably. I think they probably have a computer checking for certain Ugh. words and images. I don't think a real person actually sees it because they, which again is, I think, is part of like systematic oppression when you when there isn't someone who actually can relate to your experiences doing the work. Wow, I mean that's that's you know whether it's a robot or whether it's somebody who doesn't have your experience as a person of color or as a a woman or as a queer person, whatever it is. Could yeah. you imagine that though? Like so, you know, maybe. Maybe in certain racist circles, they know the words you can't say to somebody, mm. you know, and then so they figured out all these coded ways to say <sighs> to get their threat across. Yeah, you know, that's, like yeah, but that but that's what people do now in in, in real life, right? Yeah. Like it's just you know when something racist happens, even if the magic words aren't sure. used, you know what people mean without saying it. Like, what is your what are your thoughts on the the debate of um, you know free speech versus PC. I think the, the idea of political correctness, I think mo- the vast majority of the times people complain about political correctness, it's because they, they're either old, they either can't say something fucked up, or, I have to phrase it because uh, they can't you, say something messed up. You can say whatever you want. Alright, they can't say something fucked up, or, um, you know, or they don't like the fact the culture is changing sure. as quickly as it is. So like, just resistance. There's resistance, and I think, you know, when people say they don't like something because... And you say political correctness. No, there's a because. People have <laughs> rationale and reasoning. People explain why they don't like something. And you saying political correctness doesn't answer all their points. Like, if, you, if I understand the idea of people don't know how to talk about things. People are uncomfortable. They don't have the language. They don't want to get in trouble. They don't, they don't want to cause offense. I can understand that aspect sure. of why people are frustrated. We can't get it out. But the part where I can't say this, I can't say the TV isn't the way it used to be. Society isn't the way it used to be. You right. know what I mean? Like... It, we're talking about something, you know, this the idea of political correctness happens when black people join the workforce, mm-hmm. you know, when when uh, women join the workforce, when uh, other communities join the workforce, when all of a sudden you can't make jokes about them anymore because they are here. Right. And when you make jokes about them, they can do something. That's what it is. You don't have the freedom to say whatever the fuck you want because there's actually repercussions now because the people you've been pushing down all these years are finally getting close to you. Well, how do you feel about it in terms of um, comedy, though? I mean, I heard Jerry Seinfeld's bullshit, and I don't agree with it at well, all. Well, yeah, I think... He just sounds you know, old. He's an yeah, old, he's taking old rich white dude. He warped. sounds like an old rich white dude. Yeah. Well, how often is he playing colleges anyway, man? He's not. Who's paying his $50 million, you know what I mean? Who's going to spend their entire semester budget getting Seinfeld, you know? Your job as a comedian is to figure out the pulse of society, where Mm -hmm. people are at, and reach them where they're at. And that's not the same for everybody, right? Like, different crowds, different audiences, sure, sure, right? But there's there's something going on. This is part of the pulse. Why are people avoiding certain things? Why are people addressing certain things? Why is there resistance? Mm Mm-hmm. To ignore it and call it politically correct means you're not even trying. Right. Your job as a comedian is to figure it out, to decode it, to figure out how to make a room laugh even when you can't, when you're struggling with them. What do you have to do to get to them? That's your job. Hmm. If you're saying that like it's politically correct, that's, that's dismissing so many people. 
Every time I hear people saying they hate comedy because you know it's sexist or racist, I get upset. Right. Because I'm like, no, that's not what comedy is. People are sexist and racist. <laughs> right. I don't like hip hop because it's misogynistic. No, you don't like capitalism because it's misogynistic. Uh. Like, there's a big difference between like, but you you didn't like the Godfather. Yeah. You didn't like Scarface. You didn't like all this shit that like is in films all the time. Action movies. How many times do women get killed in James Bond? Constantly. Right. You know, and we're saying, but when it's in music, you don't like it. Like there's these weird kind of boundaries, but don't define a whole genre, a whole culture, a whole uh, art form by what sells stuff, right. why what you're most familiar with, because it's going to get the most mainstream attention. And so, the same thing I will say to people who say that comedy has liberated me of so many things, has mm-hmm. has, has made me feel less pain, has allowed for people to feel catharsis, including myself. So how can you talk to about an art form in such a way when you're really complaining about people and privilege and right. access? Those right. are different things. And, um, you know, so th- on that side of it, like I have a response. And for the, the side on, I guess technically my side as a comedian, people who argue about political crescents, like work harder. Mm. Just find a way or play the rooms you want to play. But don't complain. Like I do colleges a ton. I do well in those situations, not all the time, because that's the nature of comedy. Some rooms you're just bombing. Right. But like I figure out what the pulse of the school is. I figure out what's going on. I do the best I can. And sometimes it's rough. Some mm-hmm. and sometimes kids another thing that doesn't get get addressed, these kids are eighteen years old. Right. They haven't experienced anything. Exactly. And also it, things are more watered down than they ever were with media. Not all the time, but like they're seeing a lot of fluff. They don't they're not trained for this. Mm-hmm. You have to train them for this. You have to train them to be adults, you have to train them to to analyze things. Be critical you have thinkers, critical yeah. thinking, and you have to teach them how to be an audience for a comedy show, which a lot of people don't know how to do. Especially at eighteen. At eighteen, <laughs> and all they've seen, for the most part, not all because it's changed compared to before, is things on TV with canned laughs. Yeah. So when there's not a laugh a minute, when the style, ha- when you have cursing in it and talking about sex, when you're talking about life and you're talking about complicated things they haven't experienced yet, or you're talking, you or you, or you may be presenting notions counter to what they've been programmed That's with. That's right. You're talking about race for the first time in a critical way, where like they, whatever suburb they grew up in, whatever town, this is not something they thought about, or their parents have trained them. Uh, otherwise, right. or they went to a school that wasn't particularly diverse or wasn't uh, particularly progressive minded or, or, or whatever it is, whatever it is, like, you know, you got to f- reach them somehow. And look, I've bombed at colleges. I've also some of the best sets of my life at colleges, right. just like, you know, a just regular like, venue, just, just like, like anywhere, any, yeah. anywhere else, you know, and I've had college kids who get every bit of it. Man, I perform for these. There's this cool uh, school called... Um, Simon's Rock. Okay. It's a small school in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. And, oh, Great uh, Barrington. It's the, it's not the, Great Barrington is, uh, somebody famous is there. I can't remember who it is. I just know from this one Anthony Jeselnik joke because it's like, the, the, I guess it was like the suicide capital. Oh, yes. Like I think W. I think W. E. B. Du Bois has a, has some connection. Okay. He had a childhood home. There's, I remember there was some famous person in uh, Great Barrington. Anyway, uh, so the Simon's Rock, um, School like they're all like child geniuses. They're all like fifteen, sixteen, and they they didn't like high school. They were too advanced, or they were weird, or creative, something. So they went to college early. Mm-hmm. And these kids, you would expect, because they're sixteen or seven, whatever, they're younger. 
wouldn't get a lot of this stuff, they get it more than most college audiences. Mm. They're on it and they laugh really hard and they're excited. Right. And they're, they're the, these kids are all a little like off and strange, like a lot of comics are, and they <laughs> obsess about you know you like. Some of these kids I performed for them when they were 16, 17, they still go to my shows now, That's like awesome. five, six, seven years later. And I was their first exposure to comedy, and they've been obsessed with comedy ever since. Like, it was amazing to like be around young people and make jokes and then become obsessed with comedy because they saw me and they loved it. And to say you're performing for a f- the future audiences, the future of like your industry, because they're kids, and you're saying they're too sensitive, what are you talking about? Mm. You don't you don't you want I mean that's what everybody wants is to stay young and to stay young your audience has to be young right. you have to be relevant I mean you got to find a way to reach them you have to Let me ask you this one last thing on that subject though so if you're walking down the street and um you see a person and, and let's say let's say even you start a conversation with them if they were a through and through racist hmm. Would you want to know that or not? Depends on the situation. Hmm. I would just say maybe the situation is uh, you guys are just waiting in line to get coffee or something and happen to strike up a conversation. Public place. Public place. In the, during the day. And you guys, there's no business relationship. There's no, it's just two humans happen to be in the same environment. Well, it's hard for me because if I find out, I use it. Of course. You know, there's immediately, like people say, I've heard Chris, I'm like everything is just racist things that happen to you. It's not my yeah, yeah, it's a lot, isn't it? You know why? And Jerry Seinfeld doesn't. You know why? Because he doesn't deal with it. Right. Here you go. That's the reason why. If this shit didn't happen, I'll talk about dogs and cats or whatever else you want me to talk about. But like, yeah, this is interesting. Don't you think this is a little compelling? This weird pattern <laughs> that you don't experience. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think I would. I would want to know. Like, I prefer. Maybe it's me being a New Yorker. Is let it out. I, mm-hmm. I pr- prefer things being up front than you hiding it. You know, sometimes. Well, sometimes. and, and it, it just it gets into that political correctness kind of argument. Well, too. because on the West Coast, like, there's a lot of passive aggression. Oh, Lord. So there's is racist it, yeah. passive aggression, too. And part of me sometimes is okay with that because New York aggression, aggression is so yeah, much. Aggressive yeah. aggression, like the actual, actual aggression, it gets overwhelming. Some subways and streets. Right. You know, it's just people are so fucking angry. Like, it like do the right thing can happen every day in New York. <laughs> that wasn't a period piece about a moment. That's every day in New York. That could very well happen. So you know, there's something to say about passive aggression just being annoying, but it doesn't put you at risk. I've heard people say it's better in the South because it's up front. I've heard that too, but I, that doesn't make that makes me does not make yeah, me it doesn't make me comfortable going through there because it's up front because I feel like then that's what what you're saying is I just shouldn't go right you know what I mean like I like I am obviously not safe like that's not cool no you know? I, I'd rather feel as if like no one's gonna hurt me no one's gonna make me I, I would rather have to think of was that person being racist right. versus like oh my day's ruined <laughs> my whole day's ruined I can't recover from I'm this like, do I do I have to get a flight out of here right. like, oh god I remember feel I remember being in Columbia Missouri feeling that and I don't know enough about Columbia Missouri mm-hmm. but I didn't like the fact it looked like the seventies there's something about <laughs> every single song. <laughs> Like the fonts of things. You ever been to a place where the font of a place made you think it was racist? Which is stupid, I know, but it's just like, wow, that oh. font seems like like a set from something racist that no, happened. This, the no, this isn't anything that nuanced, but Redding, California. Yeah. It's the most racist place I've ever been in my entire life. Where is Redding, California? It is up the five 
past Sacramento before you hit Oregon. Okay. It is. I just learned recently that they were um, that entire part of Northern California and Southern Oregon was trying to become a separate state at one point because they disagreed with the politics of oh, Southern California no. and Northern Oregon. It's a crazy place. But the first thing I saw when we got out of the van that we were on tour and it just seemed like a good place to get a hotel and go to sleep for the night, we had a day off, was I walked past this series of storefronts and one of the storefronts was a radio station. Yeah. And the logo for the radio station was a map of the world. With a crosshair on Africa. Oh no! Oh no! That and, is. Yeah. Oh boy. And it wasn't too much longer before um, somebody pulled up in a truck next to us and yelled "niggers" and then drove off. Like we're like, okay, so Reading isn't. I mean, isn't in addition the place. to being blatantly racist, do they realize how cliched the whole sequence of events is? Like, they, do they just think, oh, well, it's our role now? This they, is a tradition that's been passed down. They certainly couldn't help it. They they certainly <laughs> have been waiting for the day that they could express uh, these things. Well, the radio station knows its audience. <laughs> exactly. they, no. They're marketing to their base. And <laughs> this is, let people know where they can find you all over the interwebs and wherever else you want to be found. I will. Uh, com. Uh, Twitter is at Hurricanebolu. So my website actually is Google. It might be best to go to Google. <laughs> Because you're not going to be able to figure it out. Just type H-A-R-I in comedian and follow the sequence of things that show up. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, Mike. For sure. Yeah. Peace. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for spending some time with me listening to me talk to Hari Kondabolu. Yeah, we were, it was just me and you. I was in the room with you listening to me talk to him. I was there. Uh, you can catch Hari Kondabolu seven, September 17th. That's a real date. September 17th. Through the 19th at Raleigh, North Carolina at Goodnight Charlie's. Uh, if you're in Portland this weekend, you can catch me at XOXO Fest, um, September 19th down in San Diego. Um, I'll get back to you with that venue name because I forget, but it'll be posted on my socials. I'm at Mike underscore Eagle on Twitter, and I open Mike Eagle pretty much everywhere else except Instagram because I'm Art Rap Mike there because there's already a Mike Eagle who's like a soccer player. And apparently he likes his name as much as I like mine. Um, anything else? No, October 3rd. If you're in Minnesota, I'm going to be at Doom Tree Zoo in Stepal. It's like a baseball field. I forget the name of it. But Aesop Rock is going to be there. Doom Tree, Shabazz Palaces, Trash Talk, Serengeti. And it's going to be live. We might just bust into a softball game. We got like 28 people there on the bill could do a kickball something anyway this is secret scan this is your secret radio hour write me stuff at omebooking at gmail.com goodbye